Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Historical Insights. I'm your host, Jordan Collier, coming to you from beautiful Florence, Alabama, on the banks of the Tennessee River. In this multi-part series, we will discuss the American Civil War in the Shoals and the Tennessee Valley. In this first episode, I would like to introduce my goals for this series and provide some basic groundwork, like vocabulary and necessary background knowledge, so that we all start off on the same page together. Some of this may be remedial for some of you, but it will still be helpful for us to all explore some of these terms together for the sake of greater clarity. So, first of all, what do I mean when I say the American Civil War. Well, this refers to the armed conflict that took place from the year 1861 to 1865 between the United States of America, the North, and the Confederate States of America, the South. For short, the North is often referred to as the Union and the South as the Confederacy. The participants in the conflict are known as Federals and Rebels, respectively. The states of the Confederacy fought to establish themselves as an independent country, while the Union fought to keep them in the pre-existing Republic. The war has been called many things. For example, informally, it's often known as the War Between the States. In the South, historically, if not archaically, one encounters the phrase the War of Northern Aggression, which certainly implies a kind of political viewpoint about what exactly the war was. Officially, it's known as the War of the Rebellion. This may seem like a bunch of semantical hair-splitting, but these titles are deliberately chosen for effect, so what's in a name? Well, the United States never recognized the constitutional right of southern states to leave or secede from the Union of States formed in 1789. What is de facto known as a war, therefore, was and is officially and legally termed a rebellion. This was quite a significant distinction for the Lincoln administration in terms of the constitutional powers it afforded the president. In this country, Congress alone has the authority to declare war against a foreign power. The president, however, as commander-in-chief of the armed forces, may summon and deploy troops to quash a domestic rebellion or uprising. Because the Confederacy was not recognized as a sovereign government, the president did not require a congressional declaration to deploy the military against their forces. In the Southern nationalist mindset and rhetoric of the time, it was regarded and referred to as a revolution, the heir to and of the same nature as the American Revolution of 1776. It was all about the defense of, quote, liberty, so-called, which meant in no uncertain terms for them the right to own slaves and the liberty to travel or settle with one's slaves anywhere in the republic. We'll learn more about this when we discuss the lead-up to the war and the Alabama Secession Convention. Today, this conflict is referred to colloquially and acceptably as the Civil War, 
but it's wise for us to call it the American Civil War in order to differentiate it from other modern and historical civil wars, like those in Syria, Vietnam, Spain, or Guatemala, or also the English Civil War of the 1640s. The armed hostilities that we call the American Civil War began not with secession per se, but when the South fired upon and captured Fort Sumter, located in the harbor of Charleston, South Carolina, on April the 12th and 13th, 1861. They ended when Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered his Army of Northern Virginia to Union General Ulysses S. Grant's Army of the Potomac at Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia, on the 9th of April, 1865, almost four years to the day after the war had begun. The roots of the conflict, of course, it may go without saying, go much further back than April of 1861, decades even, but we'll learn more about that next time. The war took place in hundreds of locations across the country. There were large battles and small skirmishes. The war was fought by large armies of professional soldiers and small groups of armed guerrillas. The country was divided north from south, but it was not such a clean break. The nation shattered, much like a mirror, in radial fracture lines rather than into two neat pieces. This is important for us to understand right away. As we'll see, loyalties were divided north and south, from community to community, and from household to household, especially here in the Tennessee Valley. So, what do we mean when we say the Tennessee Valley? Geographically, this refers to the land area that is drained by the Tennessee River. It's an area nearly 41,000 square miles. That's slightly larger than Iceland. It's larger than Portugal, larger than South Korea. The Tennessee River itself is 652 miles long. It begins at Knoxville, Tennessee, at the confluence of the Holston and French Broad Rivers. It flows southwesterly past Chattanooga, Tennessee, and enters North Alabama, where it flows from east to west. It then turns sharply north again, marking a small dog ear of a border between Alabama and Mississippi, and re-enters Tennessee. Finally, it ends at Paducah, Kentucky, where it empties into the Ohio River. It is the largest tributary of the Ohio, and drains land in seven states. Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, and Virginia. As such, the river, as we'll see, became a strategic target very early in the war, and many significant events occur along its banks, which we will discuss in depth in upcoming episodes. They are significant because they contribute to the ultimate victory of the Union and downfall of the Confederacy. In short, the Union successfully utilized the Tennessee River as an invasion corridor, an inroad into the heartland of the South. The Tennessee Valley being such a vast area, wherever possible and as often as possible, I will focus on the events which took place in the war around the Muscle Shoals of the Tennessee River. It is necessary sometimes, however, to describe events a bit further afield in the region at large, which then directly impacted the events in the Shoals. So what do I mean by Muscle Shoals, or The Shoals for short? Well, these days it refers to a city, four cities actually, a conurbation in northwest Alabama, bisected by the Tennessee River. Florence, my hometown, is on the north side in Lauderdale County. 
The other three cities, Tuscumbia, Sheffield, and Muscle Shoals, are on the south side, in Colbert County. Originally, and if you would have talked to somebody in the 19th century, they would have understood this as a geographical feature, namely, a network of islands, shallows, and rapids, or shoals, in the river. The river fell 137 feet in 37 miles. The shoals were located downstream of Decatur and upstream of Florence, Alabama. Before a system of dams and reservoirs were built in the early 20th century, this would have been a roadblock to navigation. And in the, er in the 19th century, where there are no railroads, rivers were by far the most efficient means, and that's efficient in terms of money, energy, and time, of conveying large quantities of people and goods over large distances. This fact ensured that the river and the settlements along its banks would witness action and play a strategic role in the war. A word now about my sources. They are diverse and varied, more than I could possibly practically name here. Wherever possible, I rely on documents from the 1860s, sources contemporary to the events they witness, like newspapers, especially the Florence Gazette. There are also first-person narratives, for example, Thomas Jefferson Seibert and Dr. J.P. Cannon, they left very detailed, rich memoirs. There is also surviving folk history, uh, specifically Wade Pruitt's oral history anthology known as the Bugger Saga. Also, there are diaries, which are a rich and illuminating source of information about daily life. I will mention here that diaries are usually from a privileged or atypical class of person, so the, the majority of people at this time were illiterate, or only literate enough to sign their own name. The average person practiced subsistence agriculture, so even if they could read and write, they would have had little to no free time to just sit and record their thoughts and observations about the events of their lives. The fact that the diarists were learned and at leisure enough to keep diaries means that, therefore, of necessity, they were privileged individuals. The Southern Claims Commission is another source for what life was like here for everyday people. The documents detail personal experiences during the war. Uh, these folks were Unionists, many of whom were held in bondage as slaves at the beginning of the war. Their narratives were recorded in the decade after the war to compensate loyal citizens for property that was officially confiscated by the Northern Army during the war. So their testimony offers an invaluable insight, since many of the petitioners were of humble social status and or illiterate. Mostly I have drawn from the official records of the War of the Rebellion, which is a staggeringly capacious collection of over 50 volumes of official reports, dispatches, and correspondences from the war. It was printed by an act of Congress from about the late 1880s to the turn of the 20th century. There's also uh, scholars, modern scholars, whose lectures are available online, such as Mark Depew from the Lincoln Presidential Library and Professor David Blight from Yale University. Their work is highly recommended for the understanding of the events of the war on a national level that it provides. Now, briefly, with my remaining time, I'd like to just explain somewhat my intentions for this series. Uh, 
I wish to retell these often misunderstood 19th century events for a 21st century audience to find interesting. We'll talk about the events that took place, yes, the facts and the dates, but also what it was like to experience those events as a human being at that time. The war touched every community and household across the nation and right here in the Tennessee Valley. 80% of white men in the South fought in a regiment. Uh, it was 50% in the North. So everyone was impacted in some way. Every family would have had someone or would have known someone who was in arms or directly impacted by the conflict. And I wish to adhere as faithfully as possible to the documents. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth or go off the books with conjecture. Wherever possible, I let people speak for themselves, and whenever possible, as often as possible, I will seek to include the voices and perspectives of women and African Americans because they played an enormous role in the conflict at home and right on the front lines though they themselves are often overlooked or uncredited or simply erased from the official popular version of history, they were often informants, makeshift innkeepers, refugee centers, nurses, and sentries. They made socks, mittens, caps, uniforms. They made enormous sacrifices, in short, for the well-being of their homes, families, and communities. Especially the Southern Claims Commission documents detail the active participation of women and African Americans in the prosecution of the war. They're really anything but packed, passive spectators. I also want to demonstrate the importance of the Tennessee Valley, its people and resources, in cracking open and ultimately subduing the Confederacy from an early point in the war to the concluding days of the conflict. We are taught so very little about our own backyard during the bloodiest war in our history. I want to illustrate what life was like here and how the valley and its people were transformed, ruined by the titanic conflict which split the nation apart. I want to give you the knowledge and the understanding to live your own life in the 21st century, with its own conflicts and challenges, with greater confidence and clarity about where we have come from, how we got where we are, and where it is we want to go. So join me next time when we examine the long road to secession and the controversial process by which Alabama will enter into the rebellion against the United States. And thanks for tuning in.